2: If you are a regular reply all listener, you probably know that there's usually a swear word or two in every episode. But even by those standards, this episode contains a lot of profanity. So if you're doing something like riding in the car with a child, you might want to cover their ears and just sort of scream at the top of your lungs until the episode's over. All right, here's the show. From Gimlet, this is Reply All. I'm Alex Goldman. Elections make me anxious. I mean, I'm sure they make a lot of people anxious, but for me, it's just the fact that it's this huge event that has such massive repercussions and I have so little control over it. For the year leading up to election night, I pickle my brain in this brine of polling data and election forecasts and just worry incessantly about what's going to happen. On election night 2008, I was so stressed out that I had to turn off the election returns and instead chose to watch that movie Enchanted. You know, the Disney movie with Amy Adams? The only things that in any way solve this anxiety are those election forecasting sites like 538. They feel like someone guiding me by the hand through a dark room. In the 2012 election, I found myself checking 538 every day just to watch those little lines indicating the candidates' chances tick forward a tiny bit. And that year, when Nate Silver swept with his predictions on election night by calling every state correctly, I felt like, okay, I can finally relax, because I know who to trust. This year, I have reached a new level of anxiety. I mean, it's not like American elections are typically civil or orderly, but God, this year.
1: Then they said to me, what do you think of order voting? I said, I think it's great, but I don't think we go far enough. He called he on. On. He he me you know a what? liar and interrupted
3: you the whole time. Well, I was- <laughs> To
2: end the very artful smear that you and your campaign have been carrying out in recent weeks, and let's talk. Let's talk, about the issues. let's talk about the issues. This election is so completely unpredictable. Ideas that would have gotten people kicked out of Thanksgiving dinner are now being talked about as completely possible, and nobody saw any of this coming. Six months ago, all the forecasters were predicting the precise moment that Trump would drop out of the election. And a few weeks ago, Bernie Sanders was going to lose Michigan by 20 points. Neither of those things happened. But there's this new guy, who I just started to follow, who actually seems like he knows what's going to happen. He predicted who'd come in first, second, third, and fourth among the Republicans in Iowa. He was calling Cruz in Idaho and Rubio in Minnesota when very few others were. And as of this writing, he has an 84% success rate on his predictions. His presence has actually started calming me down a bit. His name is Carl Diggler, and his blog documents all the crazy things that he's done in the course of his political reporting. He writes about how he went to Syria to report on the election campaign of Bashar al-Assad and how he was abducted by the Syrian government. He writes about how he was forced to renounce his American citizenship on Russian state television. And last week, he agreed to talk to me. You said in your last column, actually, I love elections. What was it that? What is it that you love so much about them?
4: Ah, uh, you know, like the uh, the the football player loves the big game. His equivalent in journalism, the other alpha jock, the uh, political junkie reporter, loves elections. I love the ceremony behind them. I love buying myself a big election cake that I can just tear into the night of the night of the caucuses and the primaries. I love the I love the stump speeches. I love the The predictions, I love just biting my fingernails while I watch the results come in. I love shoving in my rivals' faces. Uh, You know, we we are colleagues. We are members of the press. But
2: uh, there's a little competition there. On his blog, he refers to Colorado voters as bong water soaked, Dr. Seuss hat wearing tokers. And he writes almost as much about his grievances with family court as he does about the election. So honestly, this guy's pretty insufferable. But... In his defense, he is the fictional creation of these two guys, Felix and Virgil.
5: Hi, uh, this is Virgil Taxis, internet cut up.
4: Hi, this is uh, Felix Biederman.
2: Felix is the voice of Carl, and both of them blog as Carl on the satirical website Cafe.com. Diggler is this composite character. He's a parody of punditry. But while he may be fake, his predictions are very real. He's outperforming the very people he was meant to be ridiculing. People who Virgil describes like this. Hack,
5: uh, horse race, political riders, guys who obsessively follow elections but ultimately say nothing at all. You know, people who talk about uh, airy concepts like momentum and expectations game. Carl doesn't bullshit people. Uh, he doesn't always hedge his bets and talk about, you know, oh, who's got the momentum or, or if this happens, this might happen. And like ultimately make no prediction. Uh, Carl says, nope, here's who's going to win, and it's because these voters have these characteristics (laughs) which encourage them to be natural Kasich supporters. When Felix and Virgil use the
2: word characteristics, they're talking about something very specific. They see the country through people's prejudices, and they think that you can understand our politics by assuming that everyone is racist and votes accordingly.
4: Like, a, a lot of people are like, oh, Idaho is Trump country. No, it's not. They're not racist in the right way. Like, they're not, they're, they're like, they don't, they're not racist against, like, the two main groups that Donald Trump is extremely racist against. And so, and they're already predisposed for, like, black helicopter John Birch type shit. So, like, of course, they went Cruz and we saw it coming.
2: State polls predicted that Trump would win big in Idaho for months. But Felix and Virgil didn't
5: believe it. The racial resentment that powers Trump's campaign, uh, you see it more when communities undergo uh large population shifts and you just don't have that in sparsely populated idaho with very very small black population these aren't whites who are threatened that black people or latinos are coming to take their jobs right. uh, they're whites who uh uh are just proud to have a black friend
2: talking about racial animus in such a stark cynical way makes me really uncomfortable but it seems like it's getting them to the right answers or then there's the case of minnesota where they just make these reckless, broad generalizations because there's no data to go from. There was no polling.
4: I, I, there was no polling. I li- but I like I lived in Minnesota for three years. I I grew up in the Midwest uh, in general, so I would like a pretty good insight. And you know, people didn't know how to call it and. With the Republican side of things, it was like in, we, we spent three minutes on it. I thought about like every Republican I ever knew in Minnesota. They were like a guy who always wears a fucking quarter zip fleece under a suit and tie and is, you know, just like he's a business conservative. And because he's Minnesotan, he's like, oh, I, you know, the, Mr. Trump, I do not agree with you on your uh, on your characterization that you uh, had relations with Ted Cruz's wife. And like, you know, just very like, oh, you know, I don't know know about that. Oh, boy, you can't say that to Jeb. That is that is just rude to Jeb. He's never done anything to you, buddy. And so, like, I was like, yeah, they're going to vote for Rubio. (laughs) They're going to vote for Rubio because they're business conservatives. And like, they're fine with the idea of like bombing whatever country, but just like, for the love of God, do not be impolite.
5: And if you look at the results, Felix was dead right there. Um, Twin cities, metro area delivered the votes for Marco and the Trump and Cruz split the rest of the state. Exactly.
2: If Felix and Virgil sound dismissive of everyday Americans, they say that real pundits are much, much worse.
4: A lot of people that write about politics, they do have complete contempt for the people that they write about. I remember uh, Josh Barrow. He's a writer for like, Daily Beast or one of these fucking places. He, I remember he said once, like, oh, I'm, uh, I'm flying over the middle of the country. I guess this is where all the Two Broke Girls viewers live. It's like, go fuck yourself. These are all the people that fight your dumb wars of conquest and vote for your fucking candidates and are the reason that you get to be, you get to live your life and like put on your little suit, uh, and fly around the country and say things that are incorrect and cash six figure checks for
5: no reason. And like, this is finally the year they're like, no, yeah, fuck you back. Yeah, they look uh, they look down on people, they patronize them, they make up, you know, in inane bullshit ways of skewering the electorate, like, oh well, SUV moms come out for Marco. Right. My gut says yes. But it- it's
2: weird because like some of the things that you guys talk about as being like reasons that you're able to correctly call difficult races like like Minnesota, they have a similar timbre. That's reply all senior producer Tim Howard. You're saying, Oh, well, because here they're racist in this way, here they're racist in that way. <laughs> I don't know. It's like, it's a weird thing because like there are totally people in the lot states who are going to hear stuff you say and think, fuck you. I'm not racist. Right.
4: Uh, well, I, I think, you know, that's a really interesting point. Uh,
5: yeah, these people, like, they get insulted, denigrated, uh, shit on all the time. I mean, I'm doing it right now. But, yeah, no, we don't just, like, come out and say, like, this asinine policy outcome of, like, uh, uh, forcibly deporting 12 million people and building a wall and all this crap isn't motivated solely by racism. I mean, that's what it is. Carl's forecasting does the job. It calms me down. But Carl is the last guy
2: I want holding my hand through the election. He writes stuff like, quote, the humanoid with a rat's face and a lizard's brain, Lawrence Lessig, finally dropped out of the Democratic primaries. This is a guy who wears a sweater that doesn't even cover his belly. There's a photo of it. I've seen it. It's horrible to look at. How can this be a person who knows anything about anything, let alone the future of our country? So I got in touch with this guy named Dan Gardner. He's an expert on predictions. He wrote a book called Super Forecasting, And I asked him about Felix and Virgil. I wanted to know if they were the real deal, if we should listen to them. And he says, well, there's no simple answer, but in some ways they remind him of this other really successful forecaster named Paul.
1: Remember that a couple of World Cups ago, uh, you may recall that there was Paul the Octopus.
2: This isn't a nickname. Paul is an actual octopus.
1: Uh, there was this thing in Germany where they had this aquarium and they had two little boxes and they would put the national flags of the two teams that were competing on, on the boxes and they would put food in the boxes and whichever box that Paul, the octopus, would go into, that was his prediction.
2: Video of this is totally ridiculous. It's the clicking of camera shutters, the excited murmur of the gathered media, as an octopus slowly flops into a plastic box. So, this German aquarium asked Paul to predict eight World Cup games.
1: And Paul the octopus called 100% of the games, including the championship.
2: Maybe Virgil and Felix are just a couple of lucky octopi who are obsessed with racial prejudice. But if Carl is the oracle of American politics, Dan Gardner would be the guy to ask. The book that Dan wrote, Superforecasting, was based on this huge longitudinal project where people from all over the country were asked to predict world events by answering really hard questions. Questions like, will there be a new epidemic of mass killings in the Democratic Republic of Congo before January 1st? And these people, by the way, were not experts on the DRC or really on any topics. But still, the study found something wild.
1: One of the key insights is that you have this very small group, about 2% of the forecasters, who are demonstrably excellent. And not just excellent once or twice, because that could be luck, but they're consistently excellent. They're excellent so often that you can be reasonably confident that we're looking at skill more than luck. And they were dubbed super forecasters.
2: Super forecasters. Dan says that there are people that can forecast big, complex, geopolitical events, and they can do it better than government intelligence analysts, people who have access to classified documents. It sounds like magic, but these people walk among us.
1: There's pharmacists and dentists and and lawyers, and one guy was a former factory worker. There was one artist, a New York filmmaker.
2: Most of the things I was forecasting on, I knew nothing about. I didn't let myself get intimidated by any questions. This is a super forecaster named Elaine Rich. She's a pharmacist, and this is from a video of her talking at the Wharton School at UPenn. One of my hobbies is oil painting. So I've learned in painting that sometimes just the tiny nuance here or there changes the way the whole painting looks. And I think that's true in world events too, and why you need a lot of different perspectives. So I'm wondering are Felix and Virgil super forecasters? Can I trust them? And Dan says, all right, well, I know how to identify super forecasters. There's a couple traits that define them.
1: First of all, and this is pretty foundational, they tend to be very uh, uh, intellectually humble people.
2: Super forecasters don't claim to know how things will shake out if they don't know the subject all that well. He gave me an example.
1: One of the people that we profile, uh, for example, is a retired Department of Agriculture employee named Bill Flack, and he lives in Kearney, Nebraska. If you go to Bill Flack and you say, you know, hey, Bill, you've got this great track record. Give me a forecast about the Chinese economy. What he will say is, I don't know anything about the Chinese economy. Like, let me go and do some research, let me learn, let me think about it, and let me get to the point where I think that I have sufficient information and reasonable mm. grounds to make a forecast, then I will make a forecast.
2: Dan strongly suspects that George Soros is a super forecaster. not just because he's made a bunch of money, but because he hears that classic super forecaster humility in him.
1: Whenever anyone asks him, George, you know, how were how, how you so good at investment? How did you make all these billions of dollars? He always has this answer. I know that I am bound to make mistakes, and therefore I'm more likely to catch and correct my mistakes than other
2: people are. Okay, so humility. This is not the first thing I think of when I hear Virgil make sweeping generalizations like this.
5: So, I mean, you know, I mean, this is obviously shorthand, but, you know, all right, if you hate trans people the most, you'll vote for Cruz. If you hate Muslims the most, you you vote for Trump. Right. Um, If you hate yourself the most, you vote for Marco. But on the other hand, I think there is kind of an intellectual
2: humility buried under Felix and Virgil's contempt. They do something that looks not too dissimilar from what Bill Flack does. They get their information from as many sources as possible, from polling, reporter friends in different states, their girlfriends. They've even gone to a couple of primaries and met people involved with the campaigns. And once they get the info, they sit with it and see how it all feels.
4: Uh, you know, it's it, it's like making a stew. You, you throw a few things in, it doesn't work, and there you a go. A lot
5: of you, chain smoking and just going, oh, what do you think? Oh, what about these people? What do they hate? What do they hate most in life?
2: There's this other great quality that super forecasters have, which is that they're likely to say this thing that the rest of us hate to say. I was wrong.
1: This is basically, it's one of the basic fundamental insights of social psychology is that particularly if you stand up in public and you take a position, you know, I think so-and-so is going to win the election. It becomes very, you dig in, Right. right? You dig in on that position because to change your position at all is to acknowledge error and we hate to acknowledge error. Which is why you often see pundits, you know, dig in to a ridiculous extent, particularly on a big, important, high-profile
2: prediction. In fact, Philip Tetlock, the co-author of Dan's book, says that there's actually an inverse correlation between fame and accuracy. Seriously, it can be measured.
1: Meaning that the more famous the pundit was, the less accurate his forecasts were? The person who has speaks with clarity and confidence and tells a good story and knows exactly what the right answer is, that person is a terrible forecaster, but they're great TV guests. <laughs> and so they do really well in the media, even though they're lousy forecasters.
2: Pundits are trying to predict the future, but they're also trying to protect their reputations. They're trying not to look dumb. And maybe that's Carl Digler's secret superpower. It doesn't matter to him or to anyone if he looks dumb, because he's not a real person. He has no reputation to protect. So he doesn't need to worry about admitting he was wrong. And he writes about his mistakes in his column all the time. As I described Carl Diggler to Dan, I could tell that he wasn't really sold on Felix and Virgil as super forecasters. But I took one more swing at it. They gave us another example actually in um in the case of New Hampshire. And it was about Marco Rubio. And I was wondering if I could just play it for you very quickly. Just let me play it for you, and then I'll ask the question. When I
4: when we got there, like, everything associated with Marco Rubio was a fucking disaster. This guy, this is, like, a weird metric to go by, but, like, one day he... We got this, you know, press blast email, like, come have a pancake breakfast with Marco. He didn't even bring ingredients for pancakes. They fucked that up somehow. He had He had muffins. He, had muffins. he
5: couldn't even get fucking pancakes, right? How do you promise people in new hampshire pancakes and then show up and be like "Ah, oh, sorry we don't know how to make pancakes but here's some fucking entaman muffins <laughs> we we, <laughs> we went to new hampshire we met new hampshire people that kind of shit will piss them off yeah it will more than anything else those people love diners they love pancakes they have nothing else going on
2: so i mean his their predictions are based on these sort of cartoonish generalizations both politic of both political and racial sentiment sort of around the country is there merit to basing your predictions on that kind of thing?
1: There may be, to some extent, some validity in some of what they say. But I, super forecasters probably wouldn't say, you know, one thing. You know, Minnesotans demand politeness. Therefore, Minnesota will vote X. They wouldn't, you know, rely, <laughs> create a whole forecast on the basis of a single dimension
2: like that. They got the entire Democratic yep. slate right on Super Tuesday on uh, in Iowa, they got the first through fourth Republican primary w- winners, correct. How successful would Felix and Virgil, the guys who created Carl? how how successful would they have to be over what period of time before you ask for your book to be recalled, you renounce all of your scholarly work? <laughs>
1: You know what? That's a really excellent question, um, and I would have to speak to a statistician before I attempted to do that. Uh, Spoken like a true
2: means... super forecaster.
1: <laughs> I don't mean to dodge. I don't mean to duck. And it is true. It is true. Look, if somebody comes along, and they have a method, and they can demonstrate it repeatedly and sufficiently to satisfy the statisticians, then you've got to respect that.
2: In other words, it's still too early to tell whether Carl's forecasting the future or just extremely lucky what we do know is that uncertainty breeds profits. And when someone shows up who keeps getting stuff right, there's no way to tell whether they're a true prophet or just Paul the Octopus. And really, there's no way to tell whether Paul the Octopus was a prophet or not. His hot streak was never actually broken. He just ended up dying a few months after the 2010 World Cup. But other animal forecasters have been stepping up. Teddy Bear the porcupine at a zoo in Dallas just called the Super Bowl. So, did Ozzy the Grizzly Bear at Zoo, Montana. There's also Apollo the Lion in Arizona. There's Koji the Macaw in Texas. There's Nancy the Galapagos Tortoise. They're all getting things right. So, if Carl Diggler's predictive powers do go south, I've got plenty of other options. Dan Gardner's book is called Super Forecasting. And you can read the eerily accurate election forecasts of Carl Digler on the website cafe.com. Just search for the tag The Dig. Coming up after the break, the first salvo in a yes-yes-no war.
3: With Memorial Day savings at the Home Depot, you can upgrade your home with up to $2,400 off select kitchen packages from top brands like Maytag. Enhance your kitchen with the exclusive Maytag French door refrigerator and fingerprint-resistant stainless steel only at the Home Depot. And with dual power filtration on the Maytag tall tub dishwasher, you can skip soaking and scrubbing. Right now, get Memorial Day savings up to $2,400 off select kitchen packages at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Pricing valid May 16th through June 5th. U.S. only C-Store online for details.
2: Welcome once again to Yes, Yes, No, the segment on the show where we find some poor, unsuspecting sap and make fun of them for not knowing about the completely trivial stuff that we know about. Uh, Normally, uh, we we do this with our boss, Alex Bloomberg. This week, we have a very, very special guest who you will know from stage. Stage? (laughs) I'm asking this question. Do we know you from stage and screen or just screen?
0: Uh, it really depends on where you're from. Uh, you might know me from stage if you spent any time in in New York or L.A. and and uh, were a fan of going to the Upright Citizens Brigade Theater. But for the most part, I feel like people know me from screen or uh, podcasts. It's yeah. a, there's a lot of people who know me from saying horrible things into their ears uh, on a daily basis.
2: <laughs> That's true. So stage, maybe, most likely screen, and also probably ear. Um, our guest is Jason Mantzoukas. Uh Jason, thank you so much for uh, being on the show. Thank you for having me, guys. You may have heard him a million times on the Comedy Bang Bang podcast. He also has his own podcast called How Did This Get Made, where he bravely wades into some of the worst movies I've ever seen. Yeah. Jason, you you said in an email to me that um, that even... Alex Bloomberg looks accomplished on the internet compared to you.
0: Oh yeah. Well, I mean, he comes on and he kind of gets stuff and there is, okay, first I should say this. I am on zero social media. Zero, zero? 00. zero. I, I I don't I don't have a Facebook profile. I have I don't have Twitter, I don't have Instagram. I didn't have Friendster. I didn't have MySpace. I am like a zero. I have opted out. So just like the very rudimentary things that people know about the, the lexicon of being on Twitter and so forth is lost on me completely.
3: <laughs> okay, so we asked you to find a couple of yes, yes, no's for us. Can you tell us about the first one you've got?
0: Well, let's see. What do we got here? <laughs> <laughs> now I'm going to, now I'm going to, because you were kind enough to give me your login.
2: I gave you my password because I wanted you to be able to look at tweets. And also, I encourage you to tweet as me for a week.
0: And by the way, you're welcome. I showed so much restraint <laughs> in not tweeting horrible things when I knew you were no doubt
2: asleep. In, uh, in spite of the fact that I said I'd love to be humiliated. In, yeah, in yeah, I know. You. you really invited it. So what, what do you have?
0: Okay. Number one. J.W. Friedman at Satellite High on Twitter uh, tweets this, and it is, in all caps, love to meme, L-U-V, the letter, the number two, M-E-M-E, and then the trademark, T-M, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And then it's a box, and in the box are three boxes. At the top of the box, it says, Infinite Recursion Starter Pack. <laughs> in the first box is a pair of sunglasses, Ray-Bans, black Ray-Ban sunglasses. Okay. In the second box is a dog (laughs) wearing a hat and shorts (laughs) on a skateboard. Is this real? This is real. I swear to God. The third box that is below these boxes is, oh boy, is (laughs) a box that contains this whole box, so a box within which is infinite recursion starter pack, sunglasses box, dog box, and then smaller box. It's basically an in- an infinity thing. Infinite recursion starter pack, sunglasses, dog. Ba 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 You see what I'm saying? Sort, sort of. of. Okay. I'm
3: worried. I feel like the like cocky like 101 professor who just got a like Goodwill hunting question and can't answer it.
2: I'm looking at it and okay. I really, really don't get it. <laughs>
0: You don't. Ooh, do we have no, no, no? I think we instantly. Have I fucking broken the game? Yeah. Oh, I am so excited right now. Oh, I'm thrilled. (laughs) I'm thrilled. (laughs) Do you Do you guys genuinely have no idea what's going on?
2: I promise, like zero, zero, zero. Um, I think the best thing to do would be for us to retweet this on the day that this episode is released. Yep. In the hopes In the hopes that we can get people to explain it to us.
0: Okay, but from now on. I I would like to be known as the only... I think the only person who's ever gotten no, no, no.
3: That's correct. You absolutely are.
0: So screw you, Alex (laughs) 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 Bloomberg. I'm coming at you, bro. (laughs) I I want to start a war. (laughs) I want to start a war between me and Alex.
2: (laughs) You came on our show, and in like six minutes, you broke this entire segment.
0: Boom. I will just retweet
3: it right now, and I'll say, obviously, I get this joke, but do other people... (sighs) Please explain so I know that you do. Okay, so what's your other one?
0: Okay, so this is, uh, oh, okay. So uh, I don't even know what I'm looking at. (laughs) Okay, this is Scott Malcolmson at Roy Kalbeck is his Twitter handle. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: Okay, and then it's hashtag the triggering. That's one word and it's blue, so that means it's a thing that I can (laughs) click on.
2: (laughs) Yes. Yes, it is a thing you can click on.
0: Yeah, it's a thing I can click on, and other people will probably be talking about the triggering, whatever that is. (laughs) The fanfics I write, all caps, contain more valuable social commentary than your racial studies degree program, okay? That's what it says. And then it is a picture from, a, I think, a video game called Fallout, I know there's a video game called Fallout. I'm not a video game person, just like I'm not an internet person. Right. Okay, it says Fallout Equestria New Pegasus, mm-hmm. And I th- and it's like a space city in a desert landscape. There's like cactuses and, and deserts, but then there's like a space city in the middle. And then there's two cartoon characters uh, on the outskirts of the city that are like, um, one's got like a little octopus head and glowy eyes, and one's like a, uh, I don't know, like a pink alien thing with a gun and a I don't know, space stuff. Um so I'm assuming I know what fan fiction is. Okay. Okay, so I'm assuming this is some sort of fan fiction for the game Fallout. That's my guess.
2: Uh PJ Vote, do you do you know what this means? 45% comprehension on this. Uh Jason Manzucas, do you know what this tweet means?
0: I mean like in as much as I know what fan fiction is, I know what that is. So I'm going to say 10%. But okay. no, no. The reality is no. I don't know what this is. This is nonsense. <laughs>
3: <laughs> uh, Alex Goldman, do you know what this tweet means? I'm going to say yes on this. Okay, really? we're, back, we're back on steady ground. <laughs> yeah, okay. That was nerve, nerve-wracking. <laughs> All right, so wait. Can I tell you what makes sense to me in this? Sure. This person seems like Gamergate or Gamergate adjacent. hmm Is that right? Yes. And the triggering is, like, referring to trigger warnings. Jason, you know, do you know what trigger warnings are? I do not. So a trigger warning, it's this idea that you might put at the top of a piece of writing or a movie or whatever, you might say, like, if you've experienced some horrible trauma, like, say, like, sexual assault, this is a trigger warning. Like, there's descriptions of this in here. Uh, if it's going to upset you, you might not want to watch it. Got it. Okay, I get it. And there are people who are very mad that these things exist. <laughs> They're just, like— They're very
0: mad that people are warning people about things? Yeah,
3: yes. Yeah. Got it. Okay. Um and so the triggering, I'm assuming, since it seems gamergatey, it's like they are going after people who would want trigger warnings to exist. Yeah, you've got the right idea. Um. So, all right. Wait, there's more things I know. Okay, I've played the game Fallout. All right. Oh, nice. It. But the, but none of the characters that are in this are that are in this tweet are not I, really in Fallout.
0: I have enlarged this picture, and I have a guess about something.
2: <laughs> What's the go guess? for it?
0: I think this is My Little Pony related.
2: You guys, you're piecing it together. Holy crap, really? I'm really proud of both of you.
0: Yes. Wait, how, what was the My Little Pony clue? Equestria uh, and New Pegas. And the, I was like, oh, that's like horse shit.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and
0: then I was like, oh, there's so much weird My Little Pony nonsense going on right now that I feel like that's what this is, I bet. Because I heard a thing on Howard Stern where they went to BronyCon. Right. And talk to like adult men who are into um, My Little Pony sexually and all of the stuff that goes along with that, which was cuckoo bananas,
2: right? So wait, does this have Brony implications, Alex? All right, so here's here's what what I can tell you. Um, a woman named Lauren Southern, who is sort of a conservative, a conservative. GamerGate-ish person on the internet um, came up with an idea a few months ago. Here's here's her tweet. Can we start a day called The Triggering where everyone just posts offensive things on their so- social media in defense of free speech? Oh, boy. It will take place on March 9th, the day after International Women's Day and the day before Osama Bin Laden's birthday. So um, people were posting things that they thought would be offensive to people who... Uh, are usually pejoratively termed social justice warriors.
0: SJWs.
2: Yes, got it. Man, you're yeah. way more on top of this than you. Just, just kidding.
0: I, I have no idea what that is.
2: <laughs> are you serious? <laughs> That's because the SJW acronym. is the actual acronym that they no, use. No, I'm the assuming time. it would be. So they pejoratively call people who believe in sort of social justice and and trigger warnings being part of that social justice warriors or SJWs. Good work, Jason. Thank you. And. Um, one thing that a social justice warrior might do is major in racial studies in college. So oh. this, so this person is saying, the fan fiction that I write contains more valuable social commentary than your racial studies degree program. So they're writing... Oh. So this is a person who writes um, very valuable social commentary in the form of Fallout New Vegas, My Little Pony crossover fan fiction. They also hate social justice, and they want to simultaneously plug their fan fiction <laughs> and insult the social social justice warriors. I'm offended that
3: they're using the triggering for their own selfish interests.
0: <laughs> um, There's like, um, if you drill down into the next posting, there is like a, a description of the game. Mr. Horse's pet courier has been murdered and his property stolen. And while the price of the killer's <laughs> sorry, and while the price on the killer's heads is good enough to get any bounty hunters' attention, it's the bonus for returning a silly little poker chip that draws dead shot in. A pony could retire on that kind of jackpot. This game sounds
2: awesome. Well, it's not a game. This is actually oh. if you look, th- there are chapters. This is a book someone wrote. Oh, wow. Yeah. Someone wrote a Got book using it. the the characters from from or the characters from My Little Pony,
0: and the world of the Fallout. Yes, or Fallout.
2: <laughs> Can you just read the first paragraph of the book?
3: Uh, all
0: right. Oh wait, Spo- okay. So spoilers <laughs> this... for Fallout Equestria, New Pegasus. It, I guess.
3: Well, I'd be like, if you hadn't read it by this point, it's on you. All right. Well, the <laughs> first
2: first paragraph is just uh, one sentence. So, do you want mm-hmm. me to read just the sentence? Yeah. I was always pretty small. Especially for an Earth pony.
0: <laughs> oh, 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 oh. This is amazing. <laughs> oh. Guys, has Alex Bloomberg ever brought you anything this good? I have to say now. No, that's right. I win again, Bloomberg. I win again. <laughs> <laughs> that, for an Earth pony, too. So that like already indicates that we're going to space. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, th- that first sentence says everything you need to know. That is good writing. It's just good writing.
3: I don't know where that leaves us on actually what we're at now.
0: I mean, and, I, mean we, I think we've cracked. E- I'm trying to now. I do now understand what the triggering is. We've covered the racial studies part of it, which I thought was very confusing. And we've gotten into <laughs> Fallout, Equestria, New Pegasus. <laughs> which is um a piece of fan fiction is set in the My Little Pony universe combined with the game Fallout um and I think that's it. I think that's the I think that's what I'm looking at. Uh am I right? Yeah. Yeah? Where I think we yes yes yes.
3: Um so I did tweet out That first, the first one that stumped us, I tweeted out asking for help, and I got a little bit of headway on it.
0: Ooh. Ooh, okay.
3: Okay, so this isn't going to get us all the way, but it's going to help. Basically, there is a meme joke format online that is just the starter pack. This isn't a real one, but it'd be like, the college freshman starter pack, and it'd be like... Uh, a bunch of pizza, and, like, new books, and, like, uh, a dorm room. Like, it's just, these are the ingredients of this kind of person. Got it. So this is, like, a very, very, very complicated version of that joke that I still don't get, but that's what they're working off of.
0: Okay, okay. But that makes sense, I guess. Like, this is, like, a a meme starter pack,
2: basically? Yeah, and for the, like, like like meme that that would
3: go on forever because it's got cool sunglasses and a funny dog.
2: Yeah, I okay. still don't feel ready to say that I'm a yes on this one. Oh no, I me don't either.
3: either. I'm like confounded by this. Jason, do you feel like I feel like we're like um we're like product pitchmen for using the internet? Like, do you sure. feel having this knowledge at all? Like you're missing out on anything?
0: No, zero. <laughs> <laughs> and it is so overwhelming. Alex's feed is so stressful to me that if I had to look at this daily, I, I swear to God, I'd lose my mind. It just seems like everybody's like, Oh, I just
2: took a weird poo. And then
0: it's a picture. And then it's like a, a, a picture of a dog. You know what I mean? Like,
2: I, I don't know. I gotta I mean, be honest. What? If I saw a tweet that said, I just took a weird poo and had a picture of a dog. <laughs> I
0: mean, that by the way is going to be the text the the tweet that I send from your account. Please, please uh, send um, it.
2: Please send it. <laughs>
0: If I can figure out all of the pieces that go into tweeting that, I 100 percent will do it. I will intermittently tweet as you over the course of the next week.
2: In the meantime, I am going to put up a post that says I just took a weird poo and it's a picture of a no. Dog.
0: I that's my first tweet <laughs> asshole. You're you are not steal it. Jokes. All right, fine. How dare you? How dare you? I won't that do it. My tweet. It's gonna <laughs> be my. That's gonna be my first tweet. I'm very excited about it. <laughs>
3: So am I. I feel like what's going to happen is you're going to tweet it and then people will actually retweet it and they'll like it and then you'll do another one and like Ooh, the oh, game guys, of it will get you.
0: Guys, and then it becomes a meme and fucking Alex Bloomberg brings it in and is like, what is
2: this? <laughs> that will finally be the last Don't episode of the show. let him
0: know. Let him bring it in as a yes, yes, no. Ha! Manzukas wins again.
2: <laughs> <laughs> that would like tear open this fabric of space time and we will just implode on ourselves. That would be
0: the infinitely recursive meme. I'm, I, I, that's exactly it. It's just, it's in one box, it's me and Alex. In another box, it's the, the tweet of the dog and the, of, I just took a weird poo. And then it's that infinitely.
2: Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, God, Jason, this has been a pleasure. Yeah, really. What a delight. You can hear Jason Manzucas on the How Did This Get Made podcast. Or you can see him in basically every comedy television show ever made. He's appeared on The Kroll Show. He's currently on Brooklyn Nine-Nine. He is a regular on The League. He's everywhere. He is just everywhere. Reply All is PJ Vogt and me, Alex Goldman. We were produced this week by Tim Howard, Truthy Pinnemaneni, and Fia Benin. Our editor is Peter Clowney. Production assistance from Mervyn Deganos. We were mixed by Rick Kwan. Matt Lieber is a killer drum break. Special thanks to Elise Spiegel. Our theme music is by the Mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder, and our ad music is by Build Buildings. To watch the full video of the Elaine Rich interview, which we excerpted in this episode, you can go to the Knowledge at Wharton YouTube channel or go to knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. You can find more episodes at itunes.com slash replyall. Our website is replyall.fail. We'll be back next week. Thanks for listening.